Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, where today England are picking up the pieces from their worst home defeat in an international match for nearly 100 years. England nil, Hungary four. You are hearing that right. The players, the manager, booed off the pitch at Molyneux. It brings to a close four tepid, uninspiring and somewhat concerning Nations League fixtures, which has seen the three Lions score just one goal, that was a penalty, and lose twice. Heading into a World Cup, alarm bells are ringing, but would it be foolish to bin Southgate this close to that Qatar tournament? It's a question we'll try and tackle on today's show, but there's no such managerial concern for Liverpool. Why would there be with how successful Jurgen Klopp's been recently? And he's strengthened his artillery with the capture of Darwin Nunez from Benfica. That's now confirmed, but on the blue side of the city of Liverpool, Everton may well be looking for new owners as well as new players. More on that shortly. Plus, Antonio Conte continues his summer spending with a deal to sign Bissouma from Brighton. How will Spurs shape up? come the end of the summer with that signing in mind. A packed show on today's episode of Football Social Daily, three days a week out of the season, Monday, Wednesday and Friday, but you can remain in the loop by hitting subscribe wherever it is you get your podcasts. My name's Niall and today I'm joined by uh, someone either side of the Pennines. We've got Joel Tudor, the Manchester side, and on the Yorkshire side, Ian Brannan. Morning, boys. Oh, yes. Well, there's only one finer side, as we well know, but we won't get into that right now. (laughs) Is that the side that's currently cloudy whilst... uh, the red rose yeah, exactly. is basking in sunshine. <laughs> yeah, well, you say that, but listen to you. You're stuffed up with hay fever. <laughs> you're sweating. You're all clammy. No problems this side. It's all cool, man. Well, I'm from the south, so I'm going to exclude myself from this conversation. I'm just oh, uh, right. Lancastrian yeah. by <laughs> by the fact that I <laughs> by, live there. By, mi- by misfortune. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into it, regardless of where you are in England. If you're an England supporter, a chastising night last night as England national football team were thrashed 
by the Hungarians 4-0 some 10 days after England played Hungary in an earlier Nations League game where they lost 1-0 in Budapest they were beaten 4-0 in Wolverhampton by the same opponents the worst home defeat in I think 94 years England were booed off Gareth Southgate came onto the pitch the manager after the game to clap the supporters and the supporters gave him both barrels they booed him off as well just how bad was it last night Joel like I say in nearly a century, England have not had a home defeat that bad. Beaten 4-0 by a Hungary side, who really England should be beating nine times out of ten. Where does that rank for you in terms of poor England performances? I'm going to be honest, by like the 70th minute, I switched over to Love Island and there was more action from the England <laughs> squad there. It was ridiculous. Um, no, but in all seriousness, I think it's a bit rash, this reaction. Um purely because I think everyone sees and is seeing this Nations League as just a a really big strain on the players and a massive inconvenience. I mean, even you look at Lit- uh, Italy yesterday, they lost 5-2 to Germany and they're the European champions. Obviously, granted, they're not going to the World Cup for a reason, but it just shows the fact that these kind of results are very, very skewed. And I don't think this... Sh- on one half, I don't think this should be looked into just because... Like I say, majority of these England players have played about fifty games just gone uh, in this last season, and they're all they're all of their heads are probably in Mykonos at the moment, not playing hungry and trying to get a result. But then on the flip side, you've got no goals in all of the games, which to me is very alarming going in into a World Cup, just because even the level of opposition. I mean, Hungary seems to have England's number in both of the games. But I don't know if that's the fact that because they can get up for it more because, um, you know, this is a, a fact that majority of their players don't play at a massively high level. I think the highest level one of them plays at is RB Leipzig. Um, and then the majority of them are all playing for kind of lower clubs. I don't know what it is, but I do think it, I do think a lot of fatigue, a lot of lack of desire comes into it because it's a glorified trophy by UEFA, which no team really has any motivation to go on and win. Um I do think it's quite unfair to be honest and it's just a massive inconvenience but on the like I say I think England do deserve some criticism because you want to at least show that you can string a few passes together and you can get a few goals to especially prior to a World Cup but I just think that the reactions so overblown because let's not forget Southgate has literally had progressive runs in each of the last tournaments going from a semi-final to a final obviously everyone would say the next step is to win something now but I do think that the next step is going to be one where the luck runs out in the World Cup just because the tournament tree will not allow England to escape very lower quality sides so it's going to be difficult but yeah it wasn't a great showing from England in these few games. Well you say that you know the World Cup is almost sort of the last chance for Southgate to to show that he's capable of winning something. How concerned should England fans be now for that World Cup, Ian? In a group with Wales, the United States and Iran, and it's Iran who England will play first in that opening group game in November when the World Cup kicks off. How much of a concern are these four Nations League results? Is it just a case of no one really is that bothered? You know, Jim asked me last week after the Italy draw, which was goalless, are you worried about the World Cup? And I said no. But now you add into the fact that a 4-0 defeat to Hungary and the worst defeat in almost a century on home soil for England. It should should fans now be concerned for that Qatar World Cup? What do you think? No, I don't think they should be. I think it's a complete overreaction. I think having this tournament now is ridiculous in the first place. We shouldn't be playing it. 
the players should be on their holidays. You look at the fixtures. I'm just using Declan Rice here as an example because he was just a, a player that came to mind who's played a lot. Uh, just sort of illustrate what they've been doing. And, and obviously, we had this big break with the um, you know COVID and all that. Uh, 2020. You go back to 2020. Football resumed um, with internationals. It was the Nations League in September 2020. Since then, Declan Rice has played 110 games, and he's had four weeks off of competitive matches. And that's not including pre-season and stuff like that. So if you're factoring pre-season, let's say that's going to be at least two weeks. You're not just going to walk straight back in the team and play again for for West Ham or England. So in the in between time, they've been doing stuff. And, you know, let's not forget that pre-season training, training in the week is hard work. You know, they're running a long way. They're, they're very fit guys. Of course they are. So really, he's not had a, a particular break. They must have had a fortnight. Looking at the fixtures over the last two years, he can't have had more than a fortnight off. Just can't have done. Um and that that's got to that's got to wear you down a bit, especially now where all your mates are on holiday. Mentally, you've checked out. I think it's a completely different kettle of fish. Looking at the um, World Cup later this year, of course they're going to be on it. It's the World Cup. All eyes are going to be on them. They're going to be g'd up for it. It's going to be the middle of the season again. It's a weird time of year, but of course maybe you could argue that the players will be more in the zone then at that time of year than they would be for a summer tournament. England's success at the Euros maybe now is coming back to haunt them because, of course, they played more games than everyone apart from Italy. And when it comes to, uh, you know, the Euros last year. So, um, yeah, I just think there's so many mitigating circumstances here. It wasn't the side that will start any of those World Cup matches that played last night. It's I just give them a break, literally give them a break, give Gareth Southgate a break. It just seems to me that there's a certain section of the the support that's looking for that excuse to pile in on Gareth Southgate because they haven't been able to until now because he's actually been pretty faultless. He's having his first wobble and people are going ridiculous over it. It's the Nations League. It's the Rumbelows Cup of international football. <laughs> just chill out, man. The Rumble. I've not heard Rumbelows Cup for a while. <laughs> the Milk Cup of the international stage. Um, well, it is, though, isn't it? It is, though, isn't it? If Man City... Glorified friendlies, isn't it? Yeah, it is a it's a friendly with a purpose. That's what it is. If Man City had played in a in a, a similar tournament domestically and got beaten by you know Cambridge United, yeah, we'd all laugh about it. We wouldn't be saying, "Oh my God," you know, Pep must go. He's 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 all gone wrong. He's lost the squad. You wouldn't be saying that. You'd be saying, "Oh right, yeah," but it's not the thing that counts. It's it's a it is a it is a post season friendly. Yeah, and everybody else has gone on holiday, and and they want it. They want. They want to go on holiday too, so if they lose quicker, then we can just go. Let's go to Ibiza. <laughs> Joel's right though, isn't he? Because Southgate has taken England to a World Cup semi-final and people always say, yeah, but England didn't face anyone of note. Don't matter. Um, reg- regardless, he got them there. I mean, that's fact. He got them to the semi-final. Yeah. He got them to the final. England, I'm a bit disappointed with how Southgate played out the final of the Euro tournament against Italy. I think he was far too cagey and I think that I understand that pragmatic process in getting to the final because if you're not if you lose you're knocked out but in the final if you lose you've got nothing to lose it's win or bust Mm. at that stage so um i was a bit disappointed with that but regardless he was within a couple of penalties away of winning england a first major trophy since the world cup in 1966 so i get what you're saying he should be given a break considering where he's got the team and actually in his post-match press conference he said it's a product of the last 10 days these four games and four results and not the 11 months since the euros final it is a bit of a and he admits that England managers have had moments in the past and he says he remembers 
um, sitting on the sofa watching England under Bobby Robson have moments like this and then they went on to reach a World Cup semi-final so um, I think that that was an interesting piece of discourse that he came out with I think it's interesting what Ian said there Joel about not losing the dressing room and losing the players I don't think Southgate has and I don't think Southgate will but what about the fans is that a different question it feels like that is a growing concern uh, and that maybe that the Southgate out brigade are starting to grow larger in number and louder in voice and particularly with no Premier League football or any other football over the next few weeks to kind of take people's mind off of this 4-0 home defeat to Hungary that could increase I think the most alarming part for me is that in the World Cup and in the Euros, as we've all known, the relationship between the fans and the England national team has been, prior to that period, at an all-time low, where, you know, even like the Euros and all the World Cups, you know, Steve McLaren, where he didn't get to the Euros in 2008, and all these really bad, I think the worst example, I think when England hit the lowest of the low was that 2010 South Africa World Cup, where I think, you know, the fans were booing England off in South Africa, where Rooney was swearing to the camera, well, not swearing to the camera, but like saying, yeah. you know, this is what our home fans do, they boo us off the pitch. I think that was, was that not 2014 that- when England were beaten by everyone, basically, Uruguay, No, no I think it was 2010, oh, was it? I'm, I'm sure it was... Mm. Um, well, yeah, both were rubbish, weren't they? Group stages. Yeah, they're both awful. Yeah, and, and a big example, like you mentioned, that World Cup in Brazil where they didn't even get out of the group stages. And I think that was the biggest disconnect between England and the uh, England fans and the national team for uh, such a long time. And then Southgate comes along and suddenly the whole nation was behind the team where I think people were even looking forward to watching the friendlies just because of how galvanized they had the nation you had like all the press involved even members of the government had an eye on it and all these fan parks and suddenly there was a really big excitement around actually supporting the national team and I think the unfortunate case right now is like you mentioned I think I think we're seeing a little bit of a pendulum shift where those cynics and the people who originally were not massively keen on the national team and suddenly as soon as a weakness starts to show and there's a crack in the surface now it's a case of wanting Southgate out and I think the reason for that is because he has probably the most talented English generation of players in maybe since Euro 2004 I would say and I think people are very scared that we're going to miss the boat of actually securing a trophy finally and this this generation's going to kind of pass us by so I think there's a little bit of urgency in that sense, but it needs the fans on board because I think the last two major tournaments have really helped the fact that, you know, when we saw those scenes at Wembley when all the fans were singing after the Denmark semi-final and it just felt like the whole nation was one for, for a period of time. And now it just feels as though there's a little bit of separation. But again, like Ian said, when it comes to a World Cup, of course the England players are going to be up for it. I mean, it's a World Cup. It's maybe the one chance that many players get to play in such a tournament. So there's going to be a different approach. But I'm just very mindful of the fact that it feels like more and more people are getting on Southgate's back because they know that time might be running out for this generation to actually get over the line. You mentioned those 2010 and 2014 World Cups. I actually saw um, a quiz online the other day, if you could name the 2010 World Cup squad. And I put in a few names, Steven Gerrard, Lampard, Terry, etc, etc. Put Rob Green in there because I remember him chucking one into his own net against the USA. Um, And I couldn't remember the rest of the squad. And 
I gave up the quiz and the answers came through and there were some names in there and I thought, why do we ever think we had a chance of winning a World Cup with those players in the squad? And that's no disrespect to the team that was taken to South Africa in 2010. But when you look at the players that England have got available to them now, you are right, Joel. It is a much more elite crop of players going to this World Cup or possibly going to this World Cup in Qatar, which should give England some confidence. However, with that 4-0 defeat, Last night to Hungary, people are calling for Southgate's head. And I think you've both made your stance quite clear that it, it would be a bit silly to to change manager this close to a World Cup. Is it very much a misjudgment, Ian, if the FA were to kind of do what they probably won't do, let's face it, and remove Gareth Southgate? Because first of all, who comes in? And second of all, is that enough time for them to go straight into a World Cup and try and win it? Well, exactly. Who does come in? <laughs> who who is going to want to give up their role currently with a Premier League side or similar for that? You see that it's a bit of a poison chalice, and it's you know the 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 tabloid media I think are us to blame because of course we're at the, as you'll know as a journalist this time of year there's not a great deal going on certainly in the world of football so everything is feasted on more than ever it usually is and and when it comes to these tournaments especially in the summer when there's loads of stuff happening uh oh, sorry when there's not much stuff happening the stuff that does happen with england is you know magnified 10 or 15 fold and everything gets blown out of all proportions so now they're going to go to town on southgate just because they can because they've got their license to do so because oh my god there's been a slip up um and it can be quite brutal can't it and people know that the england job comes with that but it, it is ridiculous and then of course that whips up a section of support and it just all gets out of control who would want that um i saw yesterday trending bielsa oh, so i I looked at that, and there's a section of people who are wanting Marcelo Bielsa to do the job. The same people who are whinging that Marcelo Bielsa didn't do press conferences in English. So what's going to happen there? Supposing they hired him, just supposing. He would do the job, he would do a great job, but then soon as he lost, oh, he's not speaking English, he can't be be having a a non-English manager. See, it's just people find Well, then there's also people that say Pochettino's available because it looks like he's leaving PSG, and then, you know, there's another non-English manager. It's just like, what do we want? We've got a good English manager. We've got we've got a manager who, like it or not, whether he's trendy or not, whether he is your choice or not, got England to a World Cup semi-final a few years ago and got England to the European Championships final last year, right? That, we would take, you know, a year ago, we were raving about England and how they were doing in the Euros. And of course, they got to the final. A year ago, Two years ago, three years ago, if you'd have said that Gareth Southgate would achieve that, or any manager, regardless of their name, look at the stats of what Southgate's achieved with this team, whether it was by luck or judgment, doesn't matter. You know, he's one of the most successful England managers we've had, and now he's lost to Hungary twice, and we want him to kick him out. It's and it's as I say, it's just this point of the season. You're gonna take into account how busy they've been, and I know you'll say, "Well, they paid for it." That doesn't put the energy back in their legs you know and and uh, their frame of mind they've had a busy time and like anyone would I just think it's the wrong time of year for having this tournament it's the wrong time of year to be judging England on it I think this has all been you know we talk about World Cup cycles Southgate has been working towards the World Cup he's experimented a bit in this tournament he's realized it doesn't work surely it's best to get beat by Hungary now than it is to get beat by Wales or Iran 
in November. So if he's learnt something from this experience, then that might stand it in good stead for the World Cup. So I, I don't think um, panicking is is a thing to do, and I don't think there's anybody better at this moment in time who would actually want the job, who would re- realistically do it. You know, I think we'll end up in a Sam Allardyce situation. Big Sam till the end of the season. Big Sam, the only England manager with a 100% win record. Never let that be forgotten. <laughs> yeah. One from yeah, one, Big Sam. Um, how will the future look for the three Lions, particularly with now no international break until September, of which there are then two Nations League games against Germany and Italy before the World Cup in Qatar? Is it all a storm in a teacup, this whole England situation with them losing 4-0 to Hungary? Well, only time will tell. One manager who certainly isn't under pressure is Liverpool boss Jurgen Klopp, who's just added a new signing to his arsenal. He comes from Benfica. His name is Darwin Nunez, and we'll talk about his acquisition at Anfield next after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast when the season's on. Every single day of the campaign, a new episode for you right from the beginning of August to the end of May. Yes, the season really is that long. And I think the England players were probably feeling that fact last night as they lost 4-0 to Hungary. We're going to leave that behind us now, though, and move ahead to the second place team in the Premier League this season. It was a close run thing. Manchester City obviously won the title. They signed Erling Haaland officially a couple of days ago. And yesterday, Liverpool made their big money signing for a centre forward Darwin Nunez from Benfica completed his move to Anfield for an initial fee of £64 million we spoke about this on Monday's podcast Joel but it's since been confirmed Nunez has signed and naturally that will add optimism around Liverpool for next season yeah you would think so because I think a lot of them have a really big attachment to Sadio Mane who looks to be leaving for Bayern Munich in the next couple of weeks so I think there were looking for that next guy who can be the figurehead in that front three that we've seen be pretty much the spearhead of a Liverpool football club for the last four or five years. Um, I think this transfer, looking back now, was always going to happen after Benfica played Liverpool twice and he scored in both of the home and away legs and he actually put in some really good performances, uh, especially at Anfield. But I think after that game, I think Klopp has definitely seen him as someone who... Especially in terms of his pressing as well, he's not for a big guy. He's not afraid to press and be aggressive in his approach, leading the forward line. And as everyone knows as well, he can play off the left or straight through the middle. But like we mentioned yesterday, I think it's going to be very interesting to see 
Liverpool play with a target man now instead of this kind of very fluid um, system up front where there's not really a, a true striker but a kind of very mixed and adaptable front three which seems to mix around. It's going to be interesting. Same with City as well where they'll have a, a Haaland up front rather than kind of you know playing maybe Phil Foden as a false nine or Gabriel Jesus who I don't believe is a true out and out striker is a little bit more like a centre forward in my opinion uh, so it will be interesting it's a big amount to pay but I think Liverpool are in a position as United were maybe 12-13 years ago where you have such a set side that this kind of outlay is probably the only outlay you need to do in a summer where it's just basically filling the gaps, filling the small holes that have come after a season and just regenerating the side uh, where you only need to make one or two signings where when you look at in the case of, you know, Arsenal and Manchester United, it looks to those sides that they're going to take another two, three, four transfers just to get to that stage of being able to do that. So um, I think it's a very basically he's under the best hands at Liverpool I think I believe if he went to United um, he wouldn't have been as effective to be honest just because the club isn't at the well ready-made stage for a striker to thrive I think so at Liverpool he'll have he'll have some he has one of the best managers in the world coaching him I mean there's not much that he can do wrong there really what I think is interesting is that as you say Manchester United were linked with Darwin and yes but what is kind of accelerated the impatience of Manchester United fans in needing Eric Tenark to make a signing is the fact that Liverpool have pressed ahead with Nunez, Manchester City have pressed ahead with Haaland and Manchester United is still sort of biding their time at this moment and uh, are yet to sign anyone. Uh, and I wonder whether the impatience of United fans, which I've picked up on on social media, is down to the fact that their two biggest rivals, who are clearly better teams than them right now, have made big money signings. Of course, City signing Haaland earlier this week, as we say. Um, with that in mind, Ian, City signing the big Norwegian and Sadio Mane probably leaving this summer to Bayern Munich. They almost needed to make a signing, didn't they? They needed to replace uh, the goals and assists and the liveliness of Sadio Mane. Uh, Nunez is clearly a good player uh, and has had a very good season. He's a good age, 22 years old, can play centrally or in one of the wide positions. He's going for a good fee, 64, could possibly be rising to 85 depending on what he achieves. But that being said, he can have all of those credentials. But coming to the Premier League, settling in and being a replacement effectively for Sadio Mane, that is not going to be easy. No, it's not. And I think, you know, going into any group that's that's bonded for a fair while, Liverpool have been a fairly stable team, haven't they? They're not the sort of club that go rotating things around massively from season to season or indeed from match to match, particularly, you know, they're, they're fairly solid, traditional that way. Um, he looks like a good player, though. You know, Jurgen Klopp um, has an eye for, for what he needs. I think the, the Liverpool fans trust him uh, and the, the, the club as a whole to, to sign the right um, person scoring 34 times in 41 appearances. I know it's in Benfica, but still it's a good league and uh, you know that's that's not a bad return. I think he'll struggle to match that in the Premier League, but it shows he's uh, he knows where the goal is and that's what it's all about being a striker. He's certainly going to get the service. Um and if he can find the net in the same way as Mane's done, then you know he'll he'll I'm sure he'll fit in very quickly. Well, Liverpool have confirmed the signing of Darwin Nunez. £64 million initially could rise to £85 million, which, if it does 
happen and I don't know what the permutations of that contract are whether he needs to score a certain amount of goals or win a Ballon d'Or or something but if it does creep up to 85 million which is what it could rise to then it would officially be Liverpool's uh, most expensive ever signing their record signing for a player but Nunez has touched down at Anfield now all the way down on the south coast Yves Bissouma could be on his way out of the Amex Stadium. Brighton and Hove Albion finished 10th in this season's Premier League, their highest ever finish, not just in the Premier League, but as a club in their entire history. They have never finished higher than 10th in the top division of English football. Graham Potter's done a brilliant job, and part of their success has been down to the midfielder Bissouma, who Spurs have agreed a £30 million fee for, no doubt a player who's highly regarded, not just by us, Joel, because we've spoken about him on the podcast a few times before, but I think by most Premier League supporters and players as one of the better midfielders in the Premier League. He's 25 years of age. He was in the final 12 months of his contract at Brighton, so naturally there was going to be some interest. Is this a good move for Spurs and a good move for Basuma as well? I think everyone was quite taken aback by, well, firstly the fee and the fact that Spurs have been able to wrap up this transfer so quickly. Um, because we've known that Spurs have needed a little bit more reinforcement in the midfield, especially since they've had to let go of Ndombele, La Celso, which were £100 million outlays um, when Pochettino was in his last season. And I just think, I think most top six sides would have been able to have him slot into their midfield easily. I think my side, United, I think he would have been a great addition to the midfield as a whole in midfield. I think Arsenal fans... They've been flirting with him for the last year or so and they're probably wondering why their club hasn't tried to go ahead and sign him. I do know that there's a investigation around him which I don't know what the conclusion of that is going to be but you would think that Spurs wouldn't sign him on the basis of anything wrong going, going to happen with that. Uh, but I know that obviously one year on his contract left does influence things massively and for, what, 25, 30 million, I think it's... I don't think you can really go wrong with that, considering the fact that there's, again, very few high-level defensive midfielders that you can actually buy. I mean, the ones that stick out, for example, Ruben Neves, Wolves are going to be wanting in excess of 50 million plus to try and even get to the table with them. And then you see Basuma, who's been very well-seasoned in the Premier League for the last three or four years under Graham Potter, and he's become such an effective midfielder every single time I've watched him play he just doesn't seem to put a foot wrong and I think under Conte he'll take him to another level easily especially with such high level players around him but in terms of Brighton I just don't worry for them at all in that position because it's well known that their recruitment has just been absolutely phenomenal in terms of identifying talent especially you know from South America um, which seems, I think they signed Moises Casado, which came in last summer, and he's looking like he's taking steps to becoming a first-team player. So I would have no worries there. They seem to have such a great eye for talent. They don't need to sign, you know, kind of these Premier League has-beens trying to regenerate some kind of status. They go for players who are absolute raw gems, and then Graham Potter does what he does best, which is coach them into better players. And I think that's why everyone's been so impressed with Potter because he's a great coach. Um, he's not a checkbook manager. He is someone who can develop a, a relatively unheard of player into a player who is on the lips of majority of the European elite. So I think for Brighton, it's good money for a, a one-year contract player. Um, but for Tottenham, I think it's such a great coup. Yeah, I think we all agreed a few weeks ago that Tottenham needed some midfield players. Christian Eriksen is also being floated around after... 
He's left Brentford on a free contract. Brentford are hopeful that he could stay, but we know that Spurs are, are somewhat interested. Manchester United have also allegedly tabled an offer for Ericsson. Could Spurs uh, make a return for Ericsson, make a sweep and bring him back to the club? Well, he'd be joining Eve Basuma, who looks like he's going to join Tottenham for £30 million. You're right about Brighton. They are a regenerative side for me. They tend to find good replacements. When they lose a good player, they find another one. I still think they're yet to nail the strikers that they've had. You know, Connolly, Mope, Welbeck, they're all all right players, but I still think they're just trying to find that one striker like a... Remember Michu at Swansea, who just came into Swansea and started scoring loads of goals. I think they need a player similar to that, really, to come in and and really find his mark. Um, But Basuma's a good player, no doubt about it, and I'm sure they'll find someone to replace him. But he's off on his way to Spurs for 30 million quid. That is it when it comes to the latest transfer news. There's loads of gossip as well doing the rounds. I'm sure we'll talk about some of that on Friday's episode of Football Social Daily. But next up on the show, we're going to be talking about Everton. Now, this time last week, we had a good old chinwag about Everton, and we said maybe new investment is needed, maybe a complete reset is required at Everton Football Club. Well, it looks like... There could be some new investment on the way. We'll talk about it next after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome back. My name's Niall. Joel Tudor and Ian Brannan are with me. And on last Wednesday's podcast, we spoke about Everton and about what is the future at Goodison Park and obviously further forward into the new stadium, Frank Lampard. What's his expectations for next season? What are the general fan expectations considering how close Everton finished to the bottom of the pile in the Premier League last season? Well, now there could be new investment on the cards as former Chelsea and Manchester United chief executive Peter Kenyon is allegedly leading a consortium which is hoping to buy Everton. Now, Ian, you were on the podcast this time last week and we spoke about Everton's future. We know Farhad Mashiri is the current owner Do you think his tenure has run its course? Is it time for change now, particularly when you bear in mind just how poor Everton were last season? It certainly seems to be a a question mark over it, doesn't it? And I'm I'm not fully immersed. I'm not I'm not a uh, an Everton fan by any stretch of the imagination, but um, it does seem to be in in a in a state of flux. In that they've got this deal for this new stadium, Um, Mashiri's pumped in 600 million into the club since he first bought the shares in Everton in 2016. Um, But the problem is how he spent that money, isn't it? Um, And he issued an open letter to supporters literally just after we finished recording the podcast last week. Mashiri wrote an open letter to Evertonians on the club's website and he said, mistakes have been made and for that I want to apologise to all of you. It's not been good enough and we need to do better. So I think that he knows that, you know, his investment albeit he can stand there with a big placard and say, I've invested £600 million. How much of that has been any good? Yeah, and how much of that has actually come from him himself? Now, they've got a problem here because it seems that some of the sponsorship and uh, the funding was coming via Russian 
directions. Obviously, those assets have been frozen now, and perhaps Mashiri's starting to uh, you know run a bit short and down to his his last billion or so. So the the you know the, the, this is it. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a big problem because that's where the <clears throat> the funding was coming from, um, and now that's dried up. Very similar to Chelsea, I suppose. Um, you know, Chelsea uh, obviously now in different hands, and, and we'll have to see how they go on in, in future. So, Everton seem to be finding themselves there now. USM, uh, a, a Russian company, uh, had paid thirty million for the exclusive naming rights of this new stadium. So now that's on ice at the, for the time being, um, and, and of course they're going to struggle to to um, get further money in for for transfers and things like that that they need as well. So. It, it, it's it's not quite the same as Chelsea because obviously the owner is not Russian, but certainly the funding uh, now it's coming to light is is very similar to, to Chelsea, um, and yeah, so there's a big question mark over it, and and with a Chelsea link in comes Kenyon to uh, to get involved as well. So you know everything comes around, what goes around comes around, and some of the people involved with with Peter Kenyon, I think, have, have previously been involved with Chelsea two in the past so obviously there's a few people that were involved with Chelsea who aren't Russian uh, and, and want to get back involved in football and um, maybe there's a bit of a merry-go-round going on here and they're seeing an opportunity with a, a club that's maybe got its hands tied slightly so I think there's, that's a lot to do with it but they need some stability you know you've got the the promised this new stadium for the fans they promised that Everton are going to be up there challenging and so far you know they've they've let a couple of good managers go. They've got um, Frank Lampard at the minute. I'm not saying he's not a good manager, but he's not Rafael Benitez and he's not um, uh, Ancelotti. You know, so th- you'd argue really when you look at it on paper, yeah, they've gone backwards a bit. I think football's a game of opportunism, isn't it? And I think that that extends as far as ownership. And, and yeah. things like it's that. It's real life monopoly, isn't it? Yeah. It's real life monopoly. You see somebody around the board who's like down to their last. Uh, their last, you know, few dollars on the on the table there, and you think, well, you know what, I'm going to come in and buy all your hotels because you, you can't you can't refuse to turn me down. It's just business. That's where it is. Certainly is. And let's try and not get too business heavy, Joel, and let's focus a little bit more on actually where that money has been spent. We mentioned that maybe, um, like Mashiri said himself, mistakes have been made. He even said that in that open letter that I referred to a few minutes ago. He has invested heavily, but not necessarily with any intelligence or any smarts, has that been the issue for Everton? So many times we've sat here on Football Social Daily and talked about Everton's transfer business and said, this looks like a good player and they've turned out to be terrible or there's been too much money spent on a certain player. For instance, Iwobi's name seems to pop up a lot. Um, They've wasted a lot, haven't they? Uh, Has that been the problem? Yeah, well, I wouldn't put it all down to Mashiri. It's just the fact that he has been putting his trust into... For example, Marcel Brands, who's been spending his money ridiculously poorly, as we saw, like you mentioned, in the last few seasons, the likes of Iwobi and Santa, um, Amina and Sigurdsson and Moise honestly, King, the list, yeah, yeah the, the list just goes on and on and on. And these are not cheap players; they're all thirty, forty, fifty million pound players who have gone on. Well, I mean, a few of them have just been released now, and they're getting absolutely no return on what they've paid. That that's including the transfer fee and what they've done on the pitch. So I wouldn't put it all down to Mashiri, but the the guys that he's hiring to spend his money wisely, as we've seen with Marcel Brands going um, a few months ago, it just shows he's not. I don't know if he's capable of running a football club. I think some of these guys come into clubs thinking that it's an absolute gold mine. They can just 
throw a little bit of cash here and there, hire someone who looks decent in Europe who can spend his cash, and then suddenly he finds himself in a relegation battle and wonders what's going on. I've, I've spent half a billion pounds in the, the time that I've been here, but he needs a plan around it. As you see with the best-run clubs in the Premier League who aren't massively bankrolled, example being Brighton, if you don't have the crazy amounts of cash, your next best competitive advantage is being amazing in the recruitment and in the transfer market. And it seems at Everton, they are probably the poorest when it comes to uh, transfers and spending a lot of... They have, they have a lot of money. He's willing to back them, but clearly they're just not doing it in the right area. So I think the first thing they need to do is just get the right football people in who are going to spend his money in the in the right areas and not just kind of splash money in areas which are very very wasteful you know going for Barcelona players where you know they're only getting rid of them because they don't want them anymore they're not at the required level anymore it seems like they fall into that trap of the names and the status rather than what's needed for Everton um so let's see under Frank Lampard because you know his first signings weren't great either Deli Ali's not pulled up stones at all Donny van der Beek is going to come back to United still with question marks under him so it's going to be an interesting summer to see what kind of player they go for yeah, I agree. I'm not actually sure who replaced Marcel Brands as the kind of technical slash sporting director at Everton. I've no idea, actually. Um, I think you're right about what the future holds for Everton. It's just a case of, you know, make sure you sign the right players and you don't sign any more duds. And it's so easy to sit here and say that, but it's a lot harder to put into practice. But Everton can't afford to be in a position like they were last season fighting relegation because as Ian said you know with the the new stadium on the way imagine if Everton had dropped down to the championship how dire the financial situation could have got then um Mashiri the owner says he is open to investment that doesn't necessarily mean he'll sell 100% of the club but what is worth saying Ian is that any deal is still at a very early stage these are just potentials at the moment and you do hear these sorts of things pop up all the time don't you you always hear these little murmurings you have the occasional news story this isn't one that's all over the back pages and all over the sports websites there's just a couple of articles here and there that potentially Peter Kenyon could be leading a consortium hoping to buy Everton so it's it's certainly expectations that need to be tampered at the moment yeah absolutely you know we're a long way off of course you know how long it takes to 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 do these deals you know you're talking months i think and especially as you know the the director tests and all the other investigations and due diligence that has to go on yet would need to be completed so i don't think you're looking at something that's going to happen in the next fortnight or probably indeed by the time the season starts i think it's much further down the line long way to go but it's interesting that you know maybe Everton are now starting to make noises there must be but you know it must be well known within football that Everton are in the market for looking at certainly at least further investment because obviously we've said there that their their route to investment is um, affected at the moment with all that's going on in the world and um, and yeah either it's an opportunity or a, or an invited opportunity perhaps that you know that the owners are looking at their their options to see if anybody is out there to to take it off their hands and and move forward or at least provide you know a, a reasonable source of funding to be a decent um shareholder to uh to, to help them along in their way but all's not well behind the scenes and I think if I was an Everton fan I'd be a bit concerned because it sounds you know it sounds that when when things like that are going on in the background it often boils down to the team and the investment and affects all that kind of stuff so I think it's certainly going to 
affect Frank Lampard's options and I won't be getting too excited about the uh, the transfer window, that's for sure. Yeah, it's almost impossible to know what's going to happen. Uh, but what I do know for certain is going to happen is that there'll be another Football Social Daily episode for you on Friday, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays for the time being, whilst we're in the off-season and then, of course, it's pre-season. Um, I think at the start of July, before the beginning of August... We're then back to it. Full-time Premier League football is back again. I think the 6th of August is the opening weekend. That will come around very, very quickly. Trust me on that one. So enjoy the golf. Enjoy the cricket. Enjoy the speedway, in your case, Ian. Uh, yes. Because before you know it, we'll be back to kicking a bag of wind around. Ah, uh, Well, yeah. big. Uh, the, the latest British Speedway podcast is out. Also part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Seamless plug there. We've got... Uh, Big meeting this week. It's the Premiership Pairs Round 2 in Ipswich. I'll be there in person. Um, but uh, if you're in the area and you never tried it out, get yourself down to Foxhall Stadium. It's where they do the, the stock cars if you're in that, that region of the world. But, um, yeah, get down, take it in. Some of the best riders in the world are going to be there uh, in Ipswich. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't make the TV there, does it? But you can watch it online. Um, yeah, brilliant stuff. The weather's going to be roasting as well. So uh, unless you went to Glasgow, uh, in which case it's going to tip it down. So, yeah, enjoy. Fill your boots. Yeah. En route to the stadium, why not take in the official British Speedway podcast? It's called No Breaks, No Fear, presented by our very own Ian. As he rightly points out, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And whilst we are down to three days a week, if you are looking to fill a void in your podcast listening, then you can check out all of the great podcasts we've got on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Just go to our website. It's sport-social.co.uk. And at the top of the screen, you'll see a tab there for podcasts. Give that a click. And there are absolutely loads of brilliant shows on there you can also find all of the podcasts on your usual podcast platform so if there's something you like the look of you can go and search it on spotify or apple Podcasts or wherever and you can find it there the cricket england was brilliant the other day johnny bairstow absolutely incredible and we've got some awesome cricket podcasts there on the network the likes of barmy army the likes of wisdom the analyst simon hughes so many great cricket shows which will be worth getting your ears around after that brilliant test match against new zealand but that's enough of speedway that's enough of cricket and that's enough from us here on football social daily for another show thank you joel thank you ian we'll be back again on friday we'll see you then Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.